Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining with us here as we wrap up our series, Mending Fences. And what we've really been looking at is how do we actually have better, deeper, more whole and healthy relationships? Because as we began this series, you know, four weeks ago, I named the fact that in the past two years, the past two years have put a strain on friendships. They've put some division on them. They've put also some pressure on them. But the really good news is that we don't have to be passive. There are some things that we can actually do, some steps that we can take to actually make sure that our friendships, our relationships, and our connections are healthier and more whole. And so we've looked at three things. We've looked at mending, we've looked at choosing, and we've looked at forgiving last week. And today I wanna kind of wrap up all of the series by looking at one more action that we can take to make sure that your relationships and mine are healthy, whole, and life-giving. And the last action that I wanna take a look at is just this. I wanna take a look at committing. I wanna take a look at committing. Now I know as soon as I say the word committing, for some of us, we're just gonna actually have some like tension rise up because this is just true for all of us, I think, in our culture, that we are commitment phobic. We are commitment phobic people. This is why every single thing in our culture is trial-based. Whether it's an app for piano on your phone or whether it's a mattress you buy or also when it comes to relationships, that we are commitment phobic and we often only are part of things as long as it's convenient for us, as long as our interests kind of align, as long as it's useful to us. But this perspective, this perspective of being a part of things as long as it is convenient and as long as things align, this is really, really, really damaging to relationships. That what I would like to suggest to you and what I believe is that the best relationships, the most life-transforming relationships, are committed relationships. And you likely know this, right? Whether it comes from the committed relationships in your life, whether it's with like a spouse or it's with kids or it's with somebody who's long-term invested in you, that the relationships that leave the biggest impact are committed ones. Not just convenient ones, not just transitory ones, they are committed ones. The problem is, the problem is, is that even if you agree with this, and even if you agree the disposable nature of relationships in our culture is bad, we are still formed and shaped by our culture to actually have a preference for convenient relationships over committed ones. And I'll give you an example, okay? I'll give you an example for all of us here today. Let's say today that I asked you to make a pledge, a pledge before God and everybody here to make a pledge that you would commit to being a part of Bethany not just for like this week or next week, but for your entire life. Let's say that today I invited you to make a pledge that you will give, you will serve, and you will sacrifice here for the rest of your life. Not just showing up next week, but being a part of this community for the rest of your entire life. I think many of us, if I asked you to make that pledge today, you might say like, whoa, 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 Andrew. Like, let's not get too hasty, right? You might want some, I don't know, some escape clauses, some conditions to it, right? You might say to yourself, for sure I'd be willing to commit to Bethany for the rest of my life, like as long as things are good and I agree with what's happening and there's nothing better down the street, right? And this just raises up my point that for so many of us, even if we agree that disposable relationships are bad, it is still our preference. It is still shaping and forming us that when it comes to relationships and when it comes to commitment, we value ease over rooted loyalty. We value really disposability over faithful loyalty and commitment. And this is a problem because as I said, I think the most faithful and changing relationships are the ones that are committed, are the ones that are committed. So today I wanna to talk about commitment in relationships, commitment in our friendships, commitment in our connections, because I think it matters and I think our culture is shaping us in a different way. 
And so to look at this, I want to look at a story that actually follows up right after where we left off kind of last week. I want to take a look at a small, short, and really shocking and amazing, beautiful story found in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. Now, as I just said, Ruth actually comes right after Judges, right after last week, where we learned that everybody was doing whatever they wanted, that everybody was doing what's right in their own eyes, and we see relationships really disintegrating. It's into that space that the book of Ruth comes, and we see a different way forward, a way that actually gives us promise and of hope. So I want to read to you the opening of the book of Ruth, and then we're going to kind of work through some of it. So it says this. In the days uh, when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elamech, and his wife was Naomi. Uh, Their two sons were Mahon and Kilion. So they were um, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And so in these few short verses, we're really introduced into a really difficult situation. That's what's going on here. We are seeing a really difficult situation specifically for a woman named Naomi. Now, if Naomi was here today, here's how I think she would describe her life for us. She would really say that her life is kind of over and God has abandoned her. This is the space that Naomi is in. She would say that my life is over and God has abandoned her. She would say that she thought there might have been hope, that she thought that moving into Moab might be a space for hope, but then God abandoned her, God forgot her, that God actually has ruined her. These are some of the language um, and some of the statements that she makes, actually, in some verses we'll see in just a few moments. The thing I want us to notice is that Naomi is in a really difficult and a bitter and an angry space, okay? So what Naomi does after experiencing all of this death and trauma and difficulty of moving to a foreign land and there having her husband die and then having her two sons die, of really just feeling utterly alone, she decides to move back home. She does this really out of necessity, actually, because in that day and age, without um, a husband or without sons, it became for her a really precarious situation, that she was really vulnerable and that she often actually likely didn't have much of opportunities for work or for uh, sustenance or anything like that. So she decides to move back home. Let's just read the next verse. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But as I said, Naomi is really bitter and she is really angry and she is really hurt. So even though she is journeying with her two daughter-in-laws, she actually soon will start to push them away. She'll start to decide that she doesn't really want them with her. She's actually starting to isolate herself. Listen to what happens just a few verses later. She says to her daughter-in-laws, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course, my daughters. Listen to how she describes her life. Listen to how she has this operating kind of view of things. She says this, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She says, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. This is where Naomi is at. 
She is just bitter and hurt and she feels like God is totally not for her, but against her. And so what she does is something that I've often actually seen as well when people are in real hurt and real trauma and real difficulty is Naomi starts to push away, follow with me, the only last supports and helps she has. She starts to push away the only last supports and helps that she has. Remember, her husband has died. Her two sons have died. These daughter-in-laws are the only support she has. And she says, why even bother going with me? Nothing is going to change. Nothing is good. It's all bitterness and difficulty and negativity. So she pushes away her daughters-in-law and says, really, really, there's no use in you coming with me. Nothing can change. And I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say those kind of things too. Right? Like nothing can kind of help. Nothing good can change. There's no way out of this situation or you can't help me. But Ruth, Ruth doesn't really believe the lie that she can't do anything. Ruth doesn't believe the lie that really things are just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. What Ruth does is something so countercultural, so revolutionary, so really amazing that I want us to focus in on it today. What she does is she commits to joining with Naomi and journeying with her. This is Ruth's response, that she commits to joining with Naomi and journeying with her. Listen to what she says. Naomi kind of pushes them all away and listen to Ruth's response. She says this, but Ruth replied, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. She says this, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you, wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I ever allow anything but death to separate us. Listen to the strong commitment that she makes to Naomi. Listen to the strong commitment that she chooses for this friendship and for this relationship. Now, you may have heard this passage actually read before because this passage is often actually frequently read in Christian marriages. But I just want to you know, point out this, which is quite obvious, is that this is not a marriage passage. That instead what this is, this is a commitment between Naomi and Ruth, between Ruth towards Naomi about their friendship. That we only read this passage often at weddings because that is the only kind of covenantal committed relationship we have. But here what we see from Ruth is that she says to Naomi, I will go with you. I will not leave you. I will not be separated from you. She commits to their friendship and ongoing relationship. She commits to their friendship and ongoing relationship. Listen to what she says. Don't ask me to leave. I will go wherever you go. I will live. Your people will be um, my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. So Ruth makes this really countercultural actual commitment to Naomi. But I want us to notice the space, like the headspace that Naomi is in. Remember I said before that she's really bitter and angry and kind of really believes that God is against her. We're going to hear more about where she's at in just the next few verses. We read this. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And uh, then we read this. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it Naomi? The women asked. Because remember, Naomi was from the space, right? She had left and now she has come back. And so when the women see her, that know her, right? They say, is this Naomi? Listen to her response to get an idea of where Naomi is at and who Ruth is committing to. Naomi says this, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Do you hear how angry and hurt she is? The message does a really good, translate, a really good job translating this verse, and it says this. Uh, she says, but don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one ruined me. You see, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word Naomi means pleasant. And in Hebrew, the word Mara means bitter. So when Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she's saying, I'm no longer pleasant. I'm no longer content. I no longer have any happiness. Why? Because God ruined me. God wrecked everything. Instead, just call me Mara. Just call me bitter. That is literally what she's saying. She's saying, I'm no longer pleasant at all. Instead, my entire identity is now wrapped up in bitterness. So Naomi is in a really difficult, uh, tough place. And even though this story might be, you know, it's ancient, it's many thousands of years old, right? Even the story might be very far removed from us, you know, geographically and time-wise, it's actually quite close to us, I think, in terms of our own experience. Because how many of you can maybe be honest and say that you've ever experienced something like Naomi, where you've gone through something so difficult, so troubling, so hurtful, that that's like all that you can see, that really bitterness, uh, hopelessness, maybe fear, depression, it just clouds everything. This is the space that Naomi is in, that she's just not experiencing bitterness. Follow with me. Bitterness has now become her identity, right? She says, call me bitter. This is now who she is. And it's into this space that Ruth really commits to Naomi. And what I want to take a look at then is how does Naomi find freedom from this? Because if you've ever been in this space where you're just like locked into some really negative emotions, if you've ever been through it or you've maybe journeyed with someone who's been through it, it's a really hard space to be. It's an even harder space to leave. So I want to take a look at then how is Naomi's life changed? And the answer really is, the answer really is, it's through the committed relationship of Ruth that Naomi's life is altered. It's through the commitment of Ruth that Naomi's life really has a different trajectory to it. So what ends up happening is this. Naomi, as I said, she really feels like everyone has left her, right? Her husband has died. Her sons have died. She even feels abandoned by God. But it's into this really desperate and bleak place that Ruth steps up, that Ruth steps in, and that she commits to Naomi. And what we read then in chapters 2 and 3, we read a really uh, kind of some amazing events and some strong actions by Ruth that Ruth meets a man named Boaz. And in Ruth 2 verse 1, we learn that Boaz is a really influential person. He's a landowner. He's wealthy. He's also related in terms of the family, that he is what's called a kinsman redeemer. And through a series of really amazing events, what ends up happening is Boaz chooses to actually to marry Ruth. Mainly, actually, uh, he says in chapter 2, because of how he care, how she cares for her mother-in-law. And so I want to read to you the very last section of the book of Ruth. We read at the very beginning. I want to read to you the last section in chapter 4. This is where Boaz decides to marry Ruth. And let's see the change and transformation. Not so much in Ruth, but notice with me how the text really focuses in on Naomi. Okay, we read this. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. This is when he decided to marry her and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And then listen to how the text ends, okay? This is the end of the book. 
says this, then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. See how they named that it is really Ruth's commitment to Naomi that has changed her, that she's been better than anything else than even seven sons. And Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, right? Now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. What I want us to really notice here is the alteration and the change in Naomi. Remember how we read at the very beginning of the book, right? How angry she was, how she says the strong one or the almighty one has ruined her life. How she was so bitter. She says, call me bitter. But now at the end of the book, we don't see that at all, actually. We see Naomi being Naomi, being pleasant, being content, cuddling a baby, actually feeling fulfilled that she has had this utter transformation in her life. And what I want us to notice, what I want us to really notice is that when it comes to the transformation in her life, This wasn't just because her circumstances changed. It wasn't just because Boaz married Ruth. It wasn't just because she has a grandchild. The real reason for the change in who she is is because of Ruth's commitment to her. That without Ruth having chosen to commit her life to Naomi's, none of this would have happened. Naomi would have stayed locked in bitterness and anger and depression and difficulty. But Ruth commits to Naomi and this changes the trajectory of both of their lives. For the text, the real hinge point is when Ruth comes to Naomi and says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This commitment, this commitment of Ruth in this friendship, in this relationship, in this connection, it becomes the catalyst for change in Naomi's life. Because this is just true. And you've likely experienced this and so have I. That when people commit to you, when they choose to journey with you, when they choose to walk with you, this does impact you. It changes things. It sets a foundation and a new trajectory for life. This is what this story teaches us. What this story teaches us is of the power of friendship and of commitment and of journeying and of loyalty in relationships. What this story teaches us is that if we want to have better, healthier, more whole relationships, It only happens through commitment. That Naomi moves from somebody who is bitter to somebody who is pleasant and whole because of the commitment of Ruth. This is what changes her life and this is also what can change our lives. Committed relationships. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple from this amazing and beautiful story and I encourage you to read it this week. It's only four chapters. It's a beautiful story. What I really want to kind of focus in on is just this. That if... If we want to have better relationships, if we want to mend some fences, if we want to have healthier relationships, that what we need to really focus in on is actually committed relationships. That what I think this story is highlighting for us is that committed relationships change lives. Committed relationships change lives. That's my main point today. And this is something, follow with me, this is something that our culture never teaches us. Our culture teaches us to use relationships Our culture teaches us to maximize relationships or to look for new opportunities for relationships. Our culture never teaches us to commit in relationships. 
But what this story teaches us, and I also think what our lives teach us, is that committed relationships are the spaces and places where transformation is found. That committed relationships are the spaces and the places where transformation is found. That Naomi's life is changed because Ruth takes the amazing step towards her and says, I will journey with you, I will walk with you, I will not leave you, I will be there for you. That it's committed relationships that leave an impact on our lives and change our lives. And this, this is something I actually personally have gone through and know as well that there was a season in my life where I was really in the same sort of place as Naomi, in a really dark and difficult place, locked into bitterness, anger, and depression, and just in a really rough place. As I shared with you um, previously, this has happened for me and a few times in life, going through difficulties. But one of the worst times for me was right after my dad's death. This was a space where I just spiraled for like a year. And it wasn't just the losing of my dad that made it so difficult. It was some of the betrayal at the church that I was a part of that just, that just made it awful. I was in the same kind of space as Naomi, saying, God, like, where are you? Why are you not doing anything? Why not only did you let my dad die, but then why are you letting his ministry be ripped apart? Like, why are you not doing anything? I was in such a difficult space. I would actually, at that time, in that day and age, what I would do is I would listen to the Arcade Fires album, Neon Bible, on repeat. And they have a line where Wynn Butler sings um, on that album where he says, working for the church while your family dies. And I listened to that song and that line on repeat for months and months and months. Not particularly in a great headspace, if you can imagine. But it was into that sort of a space that committed relationships did change my life. Obviously, one of the committed relationships that had the most impact on me was Krista, right? Where she was just with me. She was patient with me. She was so kind. And even as I was seeking to pastor people, not really believing in God, which is a hard place to kind of like pastor from, she didn't rush me or push me. She was just there for me although she did ban me from listening to the Arcade Fire for at least a year. That's what she did do, okay? Also, when we that space, we had our best friends who we've been friends with now for almost 20 years, and they were there for me throughout all of it too. And they would show up when I needed them. They would listen to me repeat the same stories of betrayal and hurt that I was experiencing again and again and again on repeat. They were just there and they journeyed with me. And I can tell you personally, it is only because of committed relationships, like with my wife and our best friends and all of that, that I am here today. It was their commitment to me in a space where, honestly, I wasn't a great person to commit to. And truthfully, because we can be honest in church, amen? Okay. Truthfully, I'm kind of a hard person to be friends with on a good day. I'm generally awkward. I'm often thinking about weird theology. And I sometimes, honestly, I just don't know what to do in friendships, how to respond or what to say sometimes. So on a good day, I could be difficult to be friends with. When I was in that space, I feel like I was generally impossible to be friends with because I was never thinking about anyone else. I was so focused in on my own hurt and difficulty, yet, yet, it was committed relationships that changed and shaped my life. Just like how Ruth really commits to Naomi when she's in a brutal space, when she says, all I am is bitter and hurt and angry, and when she's trying to push everyone away, Ruth commits to her and changes her life, and I experienced the exact same thing, because this is just true. Committed relationships change our lives. Committed relationships change our lives. They're the spaces and the places where we experience transformation, growth, and fullness, and we need them. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple. It's just that committed relationships change our lives. And then what does this mean for us practically? Well, here's my question for you today, okay? Who are you committing to? Who are you committing to? Who are you committing to in your life? And I know, I know this is kind of an awkward question to ask, because this is really a question our culture never asks. Our culture never invites us to actually think about this, but I think the Bible does, and I think this passage does. 
It invites us to think through, who are you committing to? Who are you being a Ruth, uh, being Ruth to, right? Who are you actually journeying with? Who are you caring for? And I know for some of us, the easy answer is to say like our spouse, but remember, this passage is set in the context of friendship, right? Friendship and connection. So who are you being truly deep friends with? Who are you investing in? Who are you journeying with? Because this is what I believe. I believe we're all really called to be a Ruth to someone. I believe we're all really called to be a Ruth to someone, to journey with someone, to care for them, to really listen to them, to support them. So I want to invite you to consider today, who are you called to be a Ruth to? And who are you being a Ruth to? Maybe it's someone you know, here in church. Maybe it's someone in your home church. Maybe it's someone in your office. Maybe it's a neighbor, whatever it is. I want to invite you to think through, who can you be a Ruth to? Because what my challenge is, is really simple this week. My challenge is to commit to someone being a Ruth to them. That's my challenge. My challenge is to commit to someone being a Ruth to them. That if you want healthier relationships, if you want more whole relationships, if you want actually to mend fences, that what we need are committed relationships. So I want to invite you to consider, who are you called to be a Ruth to this week? I want to invite you to actually journey with people long term. And then practically, I want to give you two kind of words of direction on this. Because my challenge really is for you to be a Ruth to someone. To be like Ruth was to Naomi, journeying with someone. But I want to give you two words of direction on this. Okay? First, first is just this. You can't be a Ruth to everyone, only to someone. Okay? The first, you can't be a Ruth to everyone, only to someone. And what I mean by this is just pretty simple. Is that when I say we are called to be a Ruth to someone, and we are, okay, that we can't do this for everyone in need. That we cannot be the best friend of every single person. That what we are called to do is to journey with some people long term. But what I want to invite you to do is to make sure that you are doing this in a way that is sustainable. That you don't overextend. Because the worst thing Ruth could ever have done would then have been to break that vow that she made to Naomi. So I want to invite you to think through who can you be a Ruth to, but to remind you, you can't be a Ruth to everyone. But then the opposite is also true. That just because you cannot be a Ruth to everyone is not an excuse for you not to be a Ruth to someone, right? So I want to invite you to think through who can you journey with? I think so many of us, we all long for deep relationships, but we should then take the first step. Who can you be a Ruth to? That's why I want to invite you to consider. Because truthfully, truthfully, isn't that not what we're all called to do, right? To journey together, to walk together, to care for one another. Isn't that what church is about? So I want to invite you to think through who can you be a Ruth to? And while I said, as I said, we can't be a Ruth to everyone, that is not an excuse for us not to journey with someone. So I want to invite you to challenge you to think through who can you be a Ruth to? And my first word of direction is just that you can't be a Ruth to everyone, but all of us are called to be a Ruth to someone. My second word of kind of direction on this is just, it's something simple and it's obvious, but I think it matters, is that when I'm saying we're called to be a Ruth to someone, I am not asking you or inviting you or challenging you in any way, shape, or form to join with someone to fix them. That is not the focus and that is not the point. I'm not inviting you to join with someone to fix them. I'm not inviting you to commit to someone to be like their therapist, their savior, to counsel them or any of that. I'm inviting you and challenging you to simply join with someone, to walk with them, to be their friend, to listen to them, to care for them, but to not seek to fix them. Because you see in this story is that Ruth doesn't do that. She doesn't seek to fix Naomi, but through her committed friendship and relationship, it becomes a foundation for Naomi to experience change and transformation. I think so often, so often we enter into relationships seeking to fix people, and that just, it's just wrong. That's not what relationships are about. What relationships are about our journeying together. So as I call and challenge you to actually step out and to be a Ruth to someone, I want to remind you that this is not, this is not, this is not about journeying to fix people. This is actually just about journeying together. 
I think sometimes, especially in church, we fall for the temptation in seeking to fix people because it's sometimes easier in our mind than actually journeying with people. Because if we can just give advice, if we can just kind of give some counsel, then we can leave. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about journeying with people long-term, just like Ruth did with Naomi. And that through that, that's where we experience life change. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple. It's that committed relationships change lives. Committed relationships are the place where we experience transformation and impact and real growth. And so I wanna invite you and challenge you to be a Ruth to someone, to actually commit to journeying with someone. And as I've been talking about this, if, if God's been bringing someone to mind, if there's been some like nudges from God's spirit, if somebody's face or a name keeps coming to your mind, this is likely maybe the person that you're called to journey with. Because what I know in my own personal life, and likely you can uh, agree to this as well, is that it's been people who have committed and invested in me that have changed my life. And so rather than me just waiting for someone to do that, I should take the step and do that for someone else. That's my challenge for you today. Would you commit and be a Ruth to someone? Because if, if you want to do something incredibly countercultural, if you want to be revolutionary, if you really want to be edgy in our culture and in our world, do you know what you do? You commit and walk with someone long term. Because as I said at the very beginning, our world only practices disposable relationships. We're called to be different. We're called to be countercultural. We're called to change the world. And that happens through commitment. And if you want to have better relationships, this is how we begin, by actually committing to one another. So may you do that this week. Might you journey together. Might you care for one another. And might you find life and hope in and through that. Would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I pray. I pray you would give us Lord, wisdom, wisdom in who we are called to really journey with. I also pray, God, you would give us courage and actual strength to do that, to journey with people long-term, not just for a few days or weeks, but for months and years, that we would actually do the countercultural thing of being friends and committing in relationships long-term. God, would you help us to do this so that we might actually continue to follow you faithfully? And so, Lord, as we go out throughout this week, I pray you would give us the words to say and the actions to take as we seek to follow you and to mend our relationships. And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.